4: Hi, everyone. i Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being with us all week long. Got a big show uh, coming your way and a lot to discuss, especially after last night's Dramatics primetime show. And it was a show. Jonathan Turley at the bottom of the hour that makes sense of it. And Admiral James Stavridis about the challenges uh, that China presents is now they're beginning to build. It looks like a military base in Cambodia. We already know they have a presence in our backyard in Central and South America. And we'll see how that relates to the Council of America's meeting that's taking place in Los Angeles. Uh, So glad you're here. Let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. The Flashpoint city, Christine Severodonetsk. There, Ukrainian forces are trying to hold down about a third of the city. They are outmanned. They are outgunned. This is an artillery war, and they're running out of artillery. It's hard to imagine how much longer they can hold it.
4: Uh, Russia again, Ukraine fights and seethes as weapon systems come come way uh, come way too slow to stop Russian fighting forces in turn inflicting maximum pain while also experiencing economic and human costs themselves.
6: Number two, I don't think we're going to have a recession. Consumer spending is very strong. Investment spending is solid. I know people are very upset and rightly so about inflation. There's nothing to suggest an inflation in, and that, that a recession's in the works.
4: Yeah. Uh, what else should we be talking about 18 months after January 6th? How about a White House in disarray, shedding allies inside and out? Staffers are t- hitting for the exits daily. Two thirds of the communications division has quit. You got a broken border, gun reform, inflation, and gas prices affecting all of our lives. D.C. Dems won't discuss it, but we will.
2: Number one. Those who invaded our capital and battled law enforcement for hours were motivated by what President Trump had told them, that the election was stolen and that he was the rightful president.
4: That is Liz Cheney, one of the two Republicans on the January 6th pile, uh, I would say, committee. Making the case. We'll recap last night's opening act, making January 6th the number one story in November. What was missing? Any dissension, any defense. It was one-sided. What was gained? I'll review. And that's just it. We knew that Trump uh, did not admit that he lost. We knew that he had a major rally. We knew that he sent everyone down to the Capitol. What we still don't know is, did he want to breach the Capitol perimeter, go inside, and create havoc? I don't think so. If you look at the text from Donald Trump Jr., if you look at the interaction I know I personally have with Eric, if anybody would know that Donald Trump had a master plan to take back the presidency, it might be his own family, many of which were keynote speakers on the very rally that attracted 30,000 people. We did not see Trump's legal team because they were not invited. We know this. Trump's legal team was terrible. Uh, we know that they probably let him down a wrong path, that they had proof that there was election fraud. Whether there was, I have not seen hardcore proof there was election fraud. And even if there was proof, they have not revealed it to this day. So having heard one side, I do not know what was gained from yesterday. They're able to take excerpts from thousands of interviews, look at thousands of hours of tape, we able to put some new angles to a terrible moment in our past and put it together with the sound bites that they wanted to tell the story that they wished to convey. But there was, unlike the impeachment hearings, you didn't see Doug Collins. You didn't see Jim Jordan come back. You didn't see a retort from Senator Ted Cruz or Rand Paul because they weren't allowed to be at the table. You heard one side tell their story as they knew it. They kicked off Jim Dur- Jordan. They kicked off Jim Banks. They put on Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I thought Liz Cheney would... Talk about some things that were not true, even though she hates Trump. And Trump is doing everything to make sure she's done in Wisconsin, in Wyoming. So she made the presentation, did not do anything except sound like a Democrat last night. Cut to.
2: There is no room for debate. Those who invaded our Capitol and battled law enforcement for hours were motivated by what President Trump had told them, that the election was stolen and that he was the rightful president. President yeah. Trump summoned the mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack.
4: Did not send the, send them to the Capitol, but not through. It's also shown by the Secret Service prevented him from going. So there goes that thing that he said, "Just go in. I'm going to pretend like I'm going to go down." He wanted to go down, and the Secret Service has backed up that story. Having said that, I don't defend breaching the Capitol. I don't I don't defend hitting law enforcement, any of the Capitol police. Are you kidding? Never which made a lot of people like me who've been at countless Trump rallies, not as a participant, but as a reporter, they are not violent. In fact, they're getting beat up most of the time. And in terms of law enforcement, there's a reverence. That's why, initially, nothing made sense to me. One MVP of the entire Trump presidency is when Bill Barr came in for Jeff Sessions. He was phenomenal, landing the plane when it came to the uh, to the— Uh, to the uh, Russia hoax, letting everybody know the Mueller report would reveal nothing and would show that there was no collusion. But then the president got himself in trouble. He always had somebody had his back. When it came to election mess, Bill Barr did not see it, had no faith in the Trump lawyers, and said this. Now, Bill Barr probably talked a long time. I interviewed him a number of times, a great guy. This could have been, this excerpt could have taken out of his book on tape. Cut five.
7: I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it, and that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. I observed, uh, I think it was on December 1st, that you know, how can we? You can't live in a world where where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view unsupported by specific evidence that the election, that there was
4: fraud in the election. Which prompted Ivanka Trump, and we knew this, reportedly, to say this. Cut six. How did that affect your perspective about the election when Attorney General Barr made that statement?
8: It affected my perspective. Um, I respect Attorney General Barr. Um,
6: So I accepted what he was saying.
4: So, you know, the president, as usual, blasts Barr. Uh, And he came out and said Ivanka was totally out of touch, checked out uh, after the election. So that's why they said what they said. So those were edits. Those were edits from long interviews. What else did Ivanka Trump say? If you were putting together a hearing that had legitimate drama and was for information, you would have had Jim Jordan and Republicans going through the footage, going through the interviews, asking questions when they were deposed, and then taking the excerpt that they wanted out. But you only saw one side. So – After the opening compelling arguments, like opening arguments are, produced by a former Good Morning America producer, okay, there was no other side, which was pointed out by none other than judicial genius Jonathan Turley, cut eight what is it that they're trying to prove? Are they trying to prove that Donald
7: Trump is a horrible person? You might get a majority on that uh, by the end of these hearings. Or are you actually trying to show that there was a crime that was committed? And that's where these interstitial disconnects really mount up. You know, there isn't a crime of omission for failing to call people back from the Capitol. Uh, It doesn't mean that you don't bear responsibility. It doesn't mean that you're not culpable in the moral sense. But the question is, are you trying to establish something legal or something political?
4: Did you include in these excerpts when Trump said, I want you to march peacefully and patriotically down to the Capitol? No, because it doesn't work for your narrative. Now, if Jim Jordan was putting this stuff together, if uh, Kevin McCarthy was putting it together, it would be, it would be, in, the, be in the message. And you'd see the montage You of other things that were different. And in the end, you have the oath keepers and the Proud Boys who are the main perpetrators of much of the breaching and the violence and the breaking of windows and maybe the assaulting of Capitol Police. We saw different angles in some uh, a hunt and chance to go get Nancy Pelosi and hang Mike Pence. It's despicable. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to defend that. Are you crazy? Jim Jordan and Congressman Banks would not have defended that either. OK, put it out there. You know, put it out there, Liz Cheney. Go ahead. Put it out there, Benny Tassa, Go ahead. But when it came to the other side, they had nothing. They picked two Republicans that just hate Trump, even though they're true conservatives. And like Madam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, they put that on hold. And so far, I have not seen any people say, well, that's a bridge too far. That didn't happen. So far, we only get one side. So I'll talk about that. Maybe you feel differently. Maybe you feel as though you did learn a lot last night. one 408 7669 I know this virtually for a fact. If Donald Trump, with all the problems we had with that um, anomaly of an election because of the pandemic, where you couldn't campaign and you had to deal with the virus and you had to deal with China— And you had to deal with an election. At the same time, we had to make these special rules to get people secure enough to vote. Whatever it is, the drop boxes, the mail-in voting, the ballot differences, the signature match, uh, the Dominion voting machines, whatever you want to point to, everything was different about the last election. If the president had accepted results, done some interviews and said about how 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 he feels as though – there was some, probably some fraud there, but I'm going to accept the results, and I'm going to be Grover Cleveland. I'm going to come back in four years and do something that hasn't been done since that, that two-term president uh, that lost and then came back and won. He could, could have done it. I'll be very similar to Andrew Jackson. You do your two terms and become more powerful after as you put more and more people into positions of power, and that's what Donald Trump is doing. But he decided not to do that, and he still to this day believes that the election, uh, he was robbed of that election. Jonathan Turley at the bottom of the hour. Coming up next, Admiral James Stravitas. He's going to be joining me on One Nation this weekend, Saturday at one. His new book is now out. Um, it is called uh, um, "It is called uh, here it is, uh, Risk uh, Risk It All: Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision." Great leadership book. Don't move.
3: Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade fox news radio on demand on the fox news app download the app and just click listen when you swipe left you can listen to your favorite fox news talk shows live swipe right for the latest fox news radio newscasts on demand fox news radio on the fox news app download it today a talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show
0: well we've been saying many times that putin when he thinks of the past he doesn't think of the soviet empire he thinks of the russian empire he grew up in the communist soviet empire which he believed failed the russian people because of the communist system the emphasis on equality of workers, and it got beat by a better idea called capitalism and democracy, and he he longs for the day of the, the czarist empire. He's a son of St. Petersburg himself. Not surprising, I didn't realize his fascination with Peter, Peter the Great until the, this report was rendered.
4: That is uh, General Jack Keenwell with me about 90 minutes ago talking about uh, Vladimir Putin's speech yesterday where he's talking and comparing himself to Peter the Great. If you want clues to his ultimate goal, uh, maybe that uh, gives you a clue. Admiral James Saravides, uh knows this region and knows the guy. He's the 16th Allied Commander of NATO and currently a member of the Carlyle Group and author of several bestsellers. Uh, this new one is also fantastic. It's called Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Admiral, I just want you to respond if you can to our, the main opponent in this world, probably the, the one of the most evil characters on this planet, is trying to characterize himself as Peter the Great. Does that worry you? Uh,
9: It worries me, and it's historical nonsense. Um, Peter the Great was known as someone who effectively pulled Russia into the modern era during the Enlightenment, Um, Vladimir Putin is dragging Russia back away from the modern world, as as General Jack says, quite correctly, toward that czarist impulse. I'd say uh, he's got the wrong model. He's not Peter the Great. He's Ivan the Terrible. Google Ivan the Terrible. You'll find a lot of Vladimir Putin in that Russian czar.
4: So, Admiral, yesterday we see reports that uh, the Ukrainian uh, officials getting really angry that France and Germany keep talking to Vladimir Putin. They say, Why are you talking to him? Because they keep saying, Well, we don't want him to feel humiliated. He's got to save face. He said, Were we, the Ukraine comes back and says, Are we worried about saving face when it came to Hitler? Why are we worried about this? Where do you stand on this?
9: I agree with the Ukrainians that we ought to not be overly concerned about placating the ego of Vladimir Putin. I think all of us know. When you give to a bully, you just get bullied more. However, we do need to keep open lines of communication. We need to talk to the Russians. We need to avoid letting this thing escalate. I think those are two different things. And so I agree with the Ukrainians. Uh, No, we shouldn't be placating Putin. No, we should not be talking about giving him a a way to save face. Uh, Break, break. We do need to keep open lines of communication, even as we recognize um, the, the fundamental evil of Vladimir Putin. No, we don't need to worry about his ego. And the Ukrainians are right to call out that part of the message.
4: Severodonczyk is the site of the new Mariupol where they're trying to encircle the city and just uh, finish off the Ukrainian forces. Mm-hmm. Here's a report from the field.
5: The flashpoint city, Christine Severodonetsk. There, Ukrainian forces are trying to hold down about a third of the city. They are outmanned. They are outgunned. This is an artillery war, and they're running out of artillery. It's hard to imagine how much longer they can hold it.
4: Your reaction to the, the battlefield, as you understand it?
9: The clip is entirely accurate, and I'll add one thing to it. It's not just artillery, of course. It's ammunition. It's the... Uh, The the projectiles that go into those artillery. Um, And then additionally, Brian, good news is uh, we, the United States and other European nations are giving not just artillery, but surface-to-surface missiles that can reach behind those battle lines and interdict the logistics, take away the ammunition. The Russians are trying to get to their Mm -hmm. artillery. The bad news is We haven't got enough of those, those surface-to-service HIMARS, they're called, into the hands of the Ukrainians. So this one is poised right on a knife's edge. At the end of the day, I think what we've seen from Vladimir Putin, and we saw it in Mariupol, if he can't win it honestly and fairly on the battlefield, he'll just destroy it and and he'll Mm -hmm. use that to crush what's left of the resistance. In Serbodonetsk. So there's right. not going to be a happy ending to that story, in my view. We need to focus on the larger battle up and down that 600 mile front. Here, the Ukrainians are doing uh, very good work holding the Russians. And it really is a foot race in terms of right. when will Putin's burn rate in Killed in action and destroyed equipment in loss of his financial support. When does that kick in to the degree that he's forced to uh, stand down?
4: Uh, Nicaragua is authorizing the entry of Russian troops, planes, and ships. We know it's a uh, communist uh, dictator there, a horrible person in, uh, in Ortega. Should we allow that?
9: I've met Daniel Ortega, and he's not only a venal, corrupt. He's not very smart, and this is an example of that. Um, Letting uh, the Russians come and operate um, is going to continue to build his dependency on their broken model. Um, Can we stop it militarily? We could, but frankly, it's not worth it. Um, The rest of the hemisphere doesn't look to Daniel Ortega as a pillar of Latin America. Uh, he's marginalized already. We ought to continue to simply marginalize him. Uh,
4: I'm going to talk to you on One Nation, at which time I want you to be ready. I'm going to tap into your John Paul Jones story when it comes to leadership and decisions. <laughs> uh, it's all in risk it all. Nine, nine conflicts in the crucible of decision. Great, uh, Great job on this book. Do what I did. Even though the Admiral offered me a free one, I downloaded it. Admiral, thanks so much. <laughs>
9: You're the best, Brian. I'll see you later
4: this morning. You got it. So listen, when we come back, I'll be talked by Jonathan Turley. And I know we're all discussing the primetime show last night because that was a show. It was 18 months ago. It was just different angles on the same story. A horrific point in our history. I get it. There were people that did things wrong on the Republican side. That's true. But that was only one side of the story. I don't believe it gets traction, especially because it turns out inflation, 8.5%.
3: a radio show like no other. It's Brian
7: Kilmeade. When the committee reconvenes next week, we're going to examine the lies that convinced those men and others to storm the Capitol, to try to stop the transfer of power. We're going to take a close look at the first part of Trump's attack on the rule of law. When he hit the fuse that ultimately resulted in the violence of January 6th,
4: and that is Betty Thompson, uh, the chair of the committee investigating the January 6th uh, incursion into the Capitol. Did he really attack the rule of law? Jonathan Turley, law professor at GW uh, and Fox News uh, contributor, joins us now. Uh, Jonathan, was he right? Did he did he show yesterday that the president attacked the rule of law?
7: Well, the the problem with yesterday's hearing is that it made a Case for the Democrats that Trump is, in their view, a horrible person, uh, that he refused to accept that the election was lost and that he got even joy out of watching the riot. The problem is that even if you accept that proposition, what does it prove? That is, you know, many of us disagreed even before the riot with Trump's view of the law, that uh, Vice President Pence could do what he was calling him to do. And in that sense, um, I think that the president was obviously quite wrong legally. But the question that a lot of us had with the hearing is not just what is really new here, but also what does it all mean? That is, if, if you're if you're if you're trying to prove that Trump is a horrible guy, That's being done on various cable uh, uh, stations every day. Um, If you're trying to prove that there's something legal here that has to be addressed, even something criminal, that's the nexus that they didn't make yesterday. I mean, they keep on coming back to the fact that Trump didn't do anything for hours. and. That's true. Many of us criticized him uh, for doing that. It was, in my view, a terrible act of omission.
4: I texted Mark Meadows, as you know.
7: (laughs) Yeah, but an act of omission is not a criminal act. in most circumstances, including this. You, You don't convict someone because they didn't do something fast enough that's morally called for. The question is, what is legally called for? And that's part of the issue here. I mean, the other thing that I thought was rather interesting yesterday is that uh, Bill Barr is suddenly the uh, champion of Uh. democracy. I mean, I'm one of Bill's friends. I testified at his confirmation hearing, and I spent his entire time as attorney general defending him against these very people who are now putting him up as the savior of the American republic. And the fact is, he does deserve credit. I mean, Bill Barr fought for the integrity of the justice department every day he was in office but it just shows the raw hypocrisy that 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 defines this town
4: but where's the pushback as you wrote and said there's no pushback so can you imagine jonathan if you were prosecuting as an attorney and there was no defense okay you you, i'd love your package the montage that proves your point and then you say the prosecution rests let's go to the jury so there was no defending President Trump from any Republican on there. So, for example, the edits were all from interviews, thousands of hours of interviews. Hundreds of people were interviewed, and they take the excerpt that sells their story. You did not hear this. Cut seven.
10: I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your
7: voices heard.
4: Now, how would that have fed the Liz Cheney narrative? Probably wouldn't have worked. That's why it's on the edit room floor.
7: Yeah, and that's one of the problems that they, the Democrats, are going to have to confront. Not just that most people have moved on. I mean, they they got to the condemnation stage two years ago. So, you know, they're trying, as the New York Times said, to reframe their argument for the new for the midterm elections. The Times was was referring to Democrats telling them that. But the question is, will it work? Because unlike other commissions and committees historically, this one doesn't have any other side. So even with like Pearl Harbor, uh, with Watergate, uh, with, with our wars in, during the Bush administration, it was all bipartisan. And sure, that makes for a messy scene. That makes for people pushing back. But it also gives it an authenticity that was entirely missing yesterday. The the fact that they they edited quotes like that just really was quite glaring. You know that yeah. you know you're not even trying to look like this is any type of true investigatory proceeding.
4: So uh Jonathan Turley, our guest. So so Jonathan they what they're gonna try to do legally, it seems, is say the oath keepers who had uh, plotted and planned, they have video, I guess, in their hotel, and, and the, the, I guess they've interviewed and arrested some of the, uh, those officers in these two groups. They're going to try to tie Trump to these groups. If they were going to do that, should they have done it already? And is it okay, do you think that people are going to be paying attention at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on C-SPAN when they start trying to do this?
7: Well, they have to do more than the fact that in a debate he told, you know, the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers to stand down. You know, we, we were really told that there was going to be blockbuster stuff coming out. And some of the stuff is new in terms of video, but it's the same narrative. Like, we didn't see anything uh, that was that moment where you sort of you, you uh, left you breathless, that, wow, that's, that's a serious thing. I mean, the serious thing that most of us were looking for was a direct nexus where the president had knowledge or assisted uh, in uh, violent plans. And they basically just repeated what we've heard before, that you know, he would give a wink, a wink and a nod or he would, he, was, you know, he would speak favorably about these far-right groups. That's not enough. And the, the thing is you can condemn what happened on January 6th without, as as the director of the FBI did, call it domestic terrorism. There were over 800 arrests. We have about seven people who were charged with seditious conspiracy, which, by the way, uh, Cheney also misrepresented. She quoted the first two lines of that law. The third uh, definition for seditious uh, uh, conspiracy is to hinder any type of legal proceeding. So people keep on talking about seditious conspiracy as if it's synonymous with insurrection. It's not. It actually is a, a, a charge that you can use quite broadly.
4: Mm-hmm. So, Jonathan, do they have to get this thing done? What changes if Republicans get control of the House? Does the investigation continue? Is it up to the majority to continue this? Do you look for something to be picked up in the Senate?
7: Well, that's the fascinating thing is the the calendar here. You know, the Democrats know they can lose the House. That's, I think, partially what The New York Times was reporting, that they were hoping this very glitzy production would change their their status with voters. Right now, President Biden is less popular than President Trump at this time, and they they need to change that, obviously. But if if they lose control of the House, they have much more (laughs) worrisome things ahead of them. They made a serious blunder when they issued subpoenas to members of the House. That has always been the Rubicon. That is the the line you do not cross. We've had poisonous, divisive political periods in this country, but the parties have always understood you don't use subpoenas against people in the House because there's been this detente They understood that if they do that, then there's no limit on the rage of partisanship. Well, Nancy Pelosi, as usual, opted for the muscle play. She's going to get virtually nothing from these subpoenas. But what she is going to create and has created is the precedent for the Republicans to use the same tactic when they get in. They may subpoena a number of people in the House. For example, they, one of the things that this committee is is really avoiding, as difficult as it is, is the fact that security was so lax at the Capitol. And it, the problem is you can't have the witnesses testify without tripping over that. You had this This producer, who was one of their first two witnesses, say, yeah, hundreds of Proud Boys were marching on the Capitol, and in front of them was a single Capitol police officer eating a sandwich. Well, (laughs) the question is, why was there one police officer eating a sandwich in front of hundreds of Proud Boys? And when you heard the testimony of the officer, she said there was just a couple of them behind bicycle barriers. Well, why? There were tons of warnings being given to Congress, and it's going to be harder and harder to avoid that. But if the Republicans take power, they may actually go after that and start issuing subpoenas, including the Democrats saying, what did you know? What did you decide? And why on earth was the Capitol so unprotected?
4: Yeah, I mean, of course, they're going to talk about what the president's intent was, that he was not behind any vast conspiracy. The defense logically would be that, say, you know, I was with the president. He never said a word about taking in the Capitol. He was, you could have somebody sit there because I was by his side and he said X, Y, and Z. Anybody who said something, we don't know what happened in all those behind closed doors interviews. They took the few excerpts they wanted. So the other big story that you wrote about that I know you're concerned about, as am I, is Justice Kavanaugh and all the judges and their security. In light of uh, the murder of that one Wisconsin judge, uh, we saw the other, we've seen a lot of these judges being attacked and targeted. But Lindsey Grant, believe it or not, Nancy Pelosi is not concerned about security. A hundred to nothing, the Senate voted to give the Supreme Court justices extra security, but it's dying in the House. Nancy Pelosi walked away from the podium, didn't want any part of this question, cut 23.
7: Madam Speaker, I was wondering uh,
11: what the status of the Senate bill to protect Supreme Court
4: justices is now, and
11: your
6: thoughts on Justice Kavanaugh. Right. We had, uh, well, the justices are protected, as you all know.
4: And she said, yeah, nothing's going to happen over the weekend. So I'm just going to take a look at that. And we're, we're in no rush. Really, the justices are protected. They didn't look too protected.
7: Yeah, and really adding to that troubling uh, atmosphere is how the media has covered it. I mean, they have covered the story, but they have buried it. This was an attempted murder, according to the federal government, of a member of the Supreme Court of the United States. A man was outside his home with a a, uh, Glock and all of the tools, including zip ties. Uh, to carry out that plan, he was stopped by officers. Now, everything about that is a huge story. And yet, you, it had to be buried. It had to be buried because it didn't fit this narrative, you know, that on the week of, of the uh, January 6th committee. And it really is incredibly disturbing that even now, even with an alleged attempted murder, we cannot deal with. Not just the, the rhetoric of rage on the right, but the same rhetoric on the left. I just testified in the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, two days ago on domestic terrorism. And the whole thrust of the hearing was that uh, conservatives, including Fox News, are fueling domestic terrorism and trying to use ideology as a basis to prioritize investigations. It's all incredibly dangerous, and it's incredibly one-sided.
4: Uh, Jonathan, a lot going on. Uh, we'll see how this pro- we'll see how this progresses. See if it changes any minds. My hunch is it really didn't. Uh, and I just think about the president's political fortunes. Had he just accepted, with uh, reluctantly, that he lost, he'd be sitting pretty right now, getting ready to, uh, you know, maybe reignite an election campaign. This really co- yeah. made things, at the very least, complex. And nobody loves seeing yeah, those images last night, but they just, just, they were just new angles to different things that we've already seen. Jonathan, thanks so much.
7: Oh, my pleasure. Good talking
4: to you. Uh, John the Charlie. He's always great to follow on Twitter, too. one 408 7669 What changes after last night's testimony? And what about the fact that inflation hit another 40-year high? The May numbers that just came in, and it's not good. We'll give you the details when we come back.
3: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The January 6th committee's report will be coming out in book form. Mike Pence even did a blurb for the back of the book. He said two thumbs up, didn't get hanged.
4: Uh, That is James Corden making a mild joke about the fact that Mike Pence was down trying to gavel in the official electoral college. And the fact that he did that has him on the outs with Donald Trump. That's part of the bizarreness. Of uh, this whole investigation, what happened last night? Uh, Bill Barr came out, uh, Ivanka came out, and basically said what Jared said. They thought the election was lost, and they planned on moving on after the election. The rest of the stuff, I kind of know. I mean, I know pretty much everything. Uh, the few angles on the on the video, all right. But I mean, you just found out about the economy. Uh, inflation's up eight point six percent. That is a 40-year high. What do they plan on doing at like gas prices? It's going to go to five dollars on average. In other places, maybe where you live, it's about six fifty. In California, we're going to be at ten. Believe me. And Jennifer Granholm
12: last night says, "I don't really think things are going to get better." Cut eight, cut nineteen. This summer is going to be rough. I'll just be honest with you. Um, the Energy Information Agency, which is the energy that, the entity that projects forward all the price of gas, the price of oil has said that by the fall, it should be down to $4.27 a gallon. And by late this year, early next year, it'll be down to four, maybe under four, maybe three, high $3 a gallon. So there will be some relief on the horizon. But during the summer driving season, it is going to be rough, no doubt about it, because we have such a demand and supply mismatch on the global market for oil.
4: Yeah, it was amazing. Janet Janet, uh, Yellen is saying, I want the Russians to continue to pump oil and give it to China and India to help get the price down. Excuse me. We got some sanctions. We would hope in the perfect world they wouldn't be touching Russian oil so Ukrainians could stop dying. In terms of how you're adjusting your life, they did a survey. Uh, The survey is on DailyMail.com, and they say 77 percent of you are cutting back on restaurants and entertainment. I need to tell you about the ripple effect from that. Nine in ten Americans are saying inflation has forced them to bargain hunt in grocery stores. Believe me, as long as their stores, we're okay with that. It's when things are we're out of things like pet food and for the last month, baby formula. That's the problem more than hunting. I know a lot of people that kind of like it, but they kind of don't, never thought they'd actually be hunting to get staples. Here's Janet Yellen saying things are bad. But they're bad for the rest of the world, and it doesn't mean we're going to recession. Cut eighteen.
6: I don't think we're going to have a recession.
0: So, um, go ahead.
6: Consumer spending is very strong. Investment spending is um, solid. I know people are very upset, and rightly so, about inflation. But there's nothing to suggest that inflation in, that that a recession's in the works.
4: I, I just don't. You know, they have no credibility. They, they told us all this stuff was not going to happen. Now they said the recession is not going to happen. Imagine if you said I'm predicting a recession. You could just give up every seat in the November elections. Edward Lawrence uh, put this out from the White House officials uh, about the inflation. Now we know it's 8.6%. This is what they said ahead of time. Officials say expect the headline inflation will be elevated because gas prices are at 8.5%. We're greater in April. Uh, they were up that much. And the officials say the White House believes it will seep into the core inflation uh, through airline tickets because of the price of jet fuel, yeah. Among other things, uh, we see the market uh, getting hammered right now, down 627 points. Uh, hopefully, that's as bad as it gets. My sense it won't. They don't like those inflation numbers. Don't forget to watch Fox Nation- uh, One Nation on Fox News Channel. It'll be on eight and eleven o'clock. Amongst our guests are some great guests. This guy named Tucker Carlson. Uh, will be on the show. Jason Chaffetz will be on the show. Admiral Stavidis will be on the show. Eight o'clock, Saturday night.
3: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
4: From 48th and Six in midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, especially in the Ukraine. I hope you're picking us up. Uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik at the bottom of the hour. She's a rising star on the Republican side, uh, part of the leadership, and she would probably be a leading contender should Donald Trump run for president again uh, because people are talking about her as a running mate because they seem to have great synergy, does the upstate New York uh, lawmaker who's a, uh, is a new mom. As well, struggling to get baby formula in this administration. I'm looking at the market and it's plunging, not because of last night's hearings, but because of what just came across. Inflation, 8.6%. Horrible. Let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. The flashpoint city, Christine Severodonetsk. There, Ukrainian forces are trying to hold down about a third of the city. They are outmanned. They are outgunned. This is an artillery war, and they're running out of artillery. It's hard to imagine how much longer they can hold it.
4: Russia's gain, Ukraine fights and seeds as the weapon systems are not getting to the forefront fast enough. Russian fighting forces intent on inflicting maximum pain while also experiencing economic and human costs. But they don't seem to care.
6: Number two, I don't think we're going to have a recession. Consumer spending is very strong. Investment spending is solid. I know people are very upset, and rightly so, about inflation. There's nothing to suggest that inflation that that a recession's in the works.
4: All right, Janet Yellen, get ready to apologize again. I hope you're right, but my sense is you're wrong. What else should we we be doing? 18 months after January 6th, should this be the debate in this country? We've got a White House in disarray, shedding allies and staffers daily a broken border, gun reform, and inflation, gas prices affecting all of our lives. And DC, D.C. Dems will not discuss it, but we will.
2: Number one. Those who invaded our capital and battled law enforcement for hours were motivated by what President Trump had told them, that the election was stolen and that he was the rightful president.
4: That is a little list. Cheney's uh, prepared remarks. She opened up a 35-minute address. Making the case. We'll recap last night's opening act of making January 6th the number one story in November for the midterms. What was missing? Any disca- Any dissension, any discussion, any defense. It was a one-sided infomercial against Trump and for the Democrats. With me right now, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, your takeaway. Hey, Brian. Hey. About
11: uh, last night?
4: Last night. Uh,
10: well, I thought it was, uh, it was very dramatic. I... I- You know, the the video, so much of the video had been seen uh, that I'm sure the Democrats worried that there'd be a sense among the American public that, oh, I've seen this. I know what's going on. Uh, I haven't seen the ratings from last night yet. Uh, But my sense is that uh, the Democrats succeeded, uh, not the Democrats, the uh, Select Committee succeeded in presenting a pretty dramatic condemnation of President Trump. Uh, It really does appear as if uh, he engineered a lot of the chaos and a lot of the, In uh, what the way? permanent damage inflicted.
4: In what way? Because the, the, they say the case they're trying to prove is the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys were under his direction. That's what they want to prove. Do you think they're, this is the groundwork? You're a lawyer. This is the groundwork for proving that? And if they did, shouldn't they have said that?
11: Uh, I...
10: I don't know the answer to that uh, question. I think it's an astute question, as usual, from you, Brian. Uh, I'm just giving you my, my reflexive uh, reaction to what happened. It seemed to me uh, that uh, Liz Cheney uh, was the moral arbiter of the entire country uh, as, uh, as she presented uh, the case against uh, President Trump. Uh, and his allies. I, I think there was a very effective use of the contemporaneous uh, text messaging. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt, but in my, in my mind at least, uh, that the president put his own interests ahead of that of the country. Uh, and I I, I believe – I don't think it's going to have uh, – you know, you haven't asked me this question, but I don't think it's going to be a determinative factor. I don't think the Democrats succeeded in making January 6th, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the issue end all and be all. But I do think that it was a, an effective presentation, that uh, the conclusion I, I think has to be uh, that the president so uh, frustrated, uh, so angry – so bitter over losing the election, uh, was, was uh, you know, seizing here or there uh, to get any kind of uh, traction on some of his bizarre sort of right. theories. And I think that he incited, uh, it's pretty clear to me, uh, he unleashed, he inspired uh, the chaos that wrecked the Capitol building and, and caused, uh, you know, such... Uh, division and upset in the country, Brian.
4: So, Geraldo, you didn't have to do this. I know about your story. Basically, uh, WABC recruited you after seeing you uh, speaking on the street. And you never had to go through this. But traditionally, to get on television or radio, you have to put together an audition tape. Now, you usually put together your best stuff. You're not going to put times in which you screwed up, came, uh, came missed, missed, the, uh, missed the post, uh, were inarticulate. So this last night was a time to take thousands of hours of interviews and take the stuff that sells your narrative to sell the American people your story. That is different than telling the accurate story. Because if you're telling in the accurate story, then you're telling all sides. For example, you would have put this cut in if you were telling a comprehensive story. Donald Trump on stage January 6th, cut seven.
10: I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices
4: heard. And then you would have put texts out from Don Jr. saying to Mark Meadows, uh, get my dad in front of the television. This is getting out of control. i paraphrase. This is getting out of control. He needs to speak out. That is not somebody that was part of a conspiracy. Those words are not used to get people angry to storm a Capitol building. Now, I am not saying... That Donald Trump is without fault. But I'm saying that you cannot possibly look at that and think that's anything else but selling your point of view.
10: Oh, I, I totally believe it was a partisan presentation, if that's what you mean, yeah. Brian. I think that uh, it's no doubt, but... Uh, you know the republicans chose in many cases not to participate uh but they uh you know it wasn't in the democrats have the majority on the on the committee and in the uh in the house of representatives and what you saw was a, a the democratic uh you know in, indictment of, of the republican president I, I have no doubt that that's true however uh having said that uh, I, I believe there is also – it is unmistakable and unavoidable and, uh, and uh, almost undeniable uh, that uh, President Trump un- unleashed what happened. He, he presented the most uh, profound threat uh, to the democratic process uh, in, in modern history. I, I mean, my goodness, Brian, he uh, set, set out and successfully undermined the credibility of the American electoral process. He tried to get Pence and uh, the Vice President Pence and, and and everyone to undo an election. He, you know, he may have had plenty of complaints about the sanctity and reliability of the uh, election. None, none proven to my uh, right. satisfaction. I must add, uh, but uh, uh, believe believe me when I say I I see this differently. I I see what Donald Trump was a friend of mine. I. Love Donald Trump. Donald Trump used to call me every week. Uh, last time I spoke to him was the 13th of November, the Friday, 10 days after the election. Uh, and uh, aside from telling me to go after Dominion voting systems or some of the other bizarre uh, theories that he had as he was uh, uh, flailing around looking for evidence, he also, I thought, in that conversation, suggested to me that he was a realist and that if uh, uh, if his best efforts failed and he was unable to prove uh, fraud, then he would would, you know uh, gracefully submit to, to the dictator, the electorate. That did not happen. That was the that Friday, the 13th of November, was kind of the beginning of where he started uh, going off the deep end, and where he took the country uh, over the next uh, uh, month, over uh, you know six weeks, was a very very dangerous place. So and I, he came perilously close, I think, listen, to uh,
4: independence. You know, a lot of the stuff I said, I agree with you in that you just got to I don't have the time to go check out 50 states and all their election process, but he's got more money than anybody in the RNC and with his own campaign to put the best lawyers possible in those key districts in order to make sure the best they could. These uh, votes are on the up and up. Having said that, if there was something out there, we have not seen it. William Barr hasn't seen it. Ivanka hasn't seen it. Jared never saw it. Kellyanne Conway didn't see it. Mike Pence didn't realize it. So the people that he were around him or most loyal to him were unable to do it. But in terms of beaching the Capitol, I think – I don't think in any way that he wanted them to raid the Capitol and ransack the place and beat up law enforcement – and the thing that was so disconcerting to me as I think back 18 months ago is every Trump rally, it's the Trump people getting beat up. You know, every Trump rally, the law enforcement is lauded and they're respected and they get the loudest applause. That's why when I texted Eric that day, he texted me back and said, Brian, you know these are not our people. You know how we view law enforcement. So Don Jr., something similar. So they say there's a conspiracy to to ransack the Capitol, I have not, I will not believe that. But do I think he handled the post-election terribly? Absolutely. Uh, so we agree on that, but I don't think they're going to make any progress here because there's been no pushback. And we just have to correct the record on one thing you said. They did say Jim Banks and Jim Jordan, we'd like them on the panel. And Nancy Pelosi, for the first time in 100 years, rejected the Republican recommendations. And instead, you got two people who are vehement Trump haters, almost like uh, Kellyanne Conway's husbands, like putting him on the panel and saying he's a Republican.
10: Well, I, I don't believe that that definition applies to Liz Cheney. Maybe Adam Kinzinger, who was. No, Liz Cheney's a legitimate president.
4: conservative, but just hates Trump beyond. Any any approach to saying security was bad, too. If she came out and said, listen, I'm really I have a huge problem with the security. I have a huge problem that Nancy Pelosi ignored the request for 20,000 uh, storm. Tri- uh, stuff. excuse me, National Guardsmen, you know, that that type of thing. if she said that and, then, you know, there were elements to the president's speech that said, be peaceful. But but she made no effort to do that. And I think it hurts the cause to win over any independents.
10: It may dilute it. It may dilute it, but I I, I don't I, and I and I do not believe that it affects the Republican prospects in the near no. term. I think yeah. the midterm elections will be a Republican route. Uh I but I do think that it undermines President uh Trump in his reelection bid, which I have no doubt he is uh, you know, virtually decided on uh, on on going forward with. Uh but uh, I, I I think that Uh, he he will be the weakest republican candidate not the strongest in 2024
4: yeah we'll see who comes out and see what he decides to do their goal is to uh, i think one of their goals is to make sure he doesn't run again that's why they had the impeachment when if he was already out the office and that's why i I believe most first and foremost they're doing this uh geraldo why don't you run if you ever were going to run this is a republican (laughs) year
10: just say, I want to say one thing uh, quickly uh, about the text messages that involved uh, you and yeah. my, uh, my dear friend, uh, Sean Hannity and others. What what The message that I get from all of your text messages to Mark Meadows or to whomsoever, is your deep patriotism, your concern for the country. You always put the, the country. It wasn't a, about Fox News. It was about nope. you nope. all in that moment were deeply concerned. And your text messages reflect your, your. again, I go back to your patriotism. I love you. I love you for what you said. I love, uh, I, I told Sean, uh, who I always used to say was the second most powerful person in the country uh, that, uh, you know, everything he said, every message he said, I I implore, Sean, uh, you know, remember back to how you felt when you sent those text messages. You were really, really, really concerned about what you were watching on television. And that's, uh, you know, if I were the president, you know, the prosecutor, Lee Foster, I hate to Blow my own horn, but I could have done a lot better job than they did in presenting the case I just spelled out. Uh, but I, I really do. It, it was shocking to me, and, I, and when I and uh, when I look back on it, uh, and I, I see uh, what uh, President Trump did, uh, you know, I. I'm so glad that I, you know, I said even though he's my friend, I can't support this baloney anymore. Uh, this is this is beyond the pale. What what he did was dangerous, uh, unprecedented. It was extraordinary. It was deeply upsetting. Uh, you know, and maybe they didn't make the case uh, in those stronger terms or or in yeah. a way that was uh, that credible. But uh, I'm talking as Trump's friend. Uh, what he did was uh was sh- shocking to me and, and deeply disturbing and affected in a major way my my support i supported him until november 13th 10 days after the election i supported him uh you know uh for reelection and then uh what he did uh you know uh gotcha. makes me feel like a fool
4: uh, Gerardo Rivera, thanks so much. Uh, we'll watch this, but I do think that what I'm seeing now in the market down to 811 points, oh, inflation horrible. up 8.6, has horrible. already swamped last night's... Horrible. Uh, I'll
7: be working until yeah. I'm 100.
4: I know, <laughs> because you had so many kids. I told you. I
7: know.
10: I so many, this. but
4: you like them all, and you you take <laughs> care of them all. I do. Thank yeah, Gerardo, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Okay, Brian. See ya. Uh, back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. That's
4: so what they do. They change the TH to an F and then you're British. Thank you. They don't call liquor liquor. They're calling it spirits. Nobody told me that. My friend was like, hey, you want to cover my place? Come on. We have loads of spirits. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to your haunted
7: house. All right, Nigel? No, thank you. Let's just
4: eat a Fig Newton. Uh, that is Krista Stefano. And why would you play that, Allison?
13: Because he may or may not be on with you one nation on Saturday at eight PM Eastern.
4: That's not how you tease. You don't have you te- don't make decision to deci- you don't make the tease a decision point. Well no, I was making it a plug. Oh. Okay. So would you say, he will be on. You can yes. say definitively, definitively he will Definitively he will because be on. We already had a key guest cancel and I I feel like you might have that might be one way you are telling me that he canceled. No. You're like let me play a cut of the guy that just quit. On the show. Who would have been really amazing to listen to you right. interview, but you're not going to hear it anymore. it'd <laughs> no, no, be like a little torturous, but it's not beyond what you would do. Hey, I know you're Depends. really looking forward to this guy. Yeah, I am. Canceled. Uh, no, he's a very funny comedian, has a Netflix special that started as a YouTube special. He gives me great hope, and my hope is that comedians are not going to buckle to political correctness and cancel culture. We are going to play cuts, talk to him live, hear him talk about being white and marrying a Hispanic woman, uh, why Hispanics should work uh, 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 in the CIA, why AOC should probably head it up, all the things they told us we should not do anymore, that the days of comedy are over, you will feel better at the end of this segment because he does not care. He's famous enough. He is, but do you think you'll have to bleep him at all? Yes. You think? I mean, I've I've listened to enough. Oh, I know. It, I think we'll have to.
13: It's just it's in his well, like, cadence. His I person. did
4: Gutfeld last night for tonight's Show. Okay. Half that show has to be bleeped out. I could not believe what I was hearing. Because
13: you have such a potty
4: mouth. No, not me. <laughs> I was raised correctly, uh-huh. not like Gutfeld, who was raised in the wild.
3: Radio That makes you think this is the Brian Kilmeade show
2: in our country. We don't swear an oath to an individual or a political party. We take our oath to defend the United States Constitution. And that oath must mean something. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain.
4: Wow. A shot across the bow to every Republican not on the the January 6th committee. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik has basically replaced Liz Cheney among the leadership uh, in, among House Republicans. She joins us now. Uh, she also represents the 21st District in New York. Congresswoman uh, Stefanik, welcome back. What is your take for that challenge from Liz Cheney?
1: Well, it's a disgrace, and it's shamelessly partisan. She is acting no more than Nancy Pelosi's puppet. I certainly uh, understand that her Wyoming constituents disagree with her, which is why they're going to fire her in her primary later on this year. Uh, You know what's really shameless, though, Brian? When I was home in my district during district work period, there was not a single question on January 6th. What people were talking about was the inflation crisis, which we just got news today continues to soar, the gas prices that are crushing families' budgets, hurting rural communities and all communities across America, the crime that's skyrocketing. Democrats aren't hosting primetime hearings or any hearings on any of those issues that actually impact the American people. Instead, they're having a Pelosi partisan witch hunt to punish Donald Trump, their political opponents, and and voters across America.
4: On January 6th, They feel as though the president of the United States, they're trying to prove the president of the United States was on it, called 1-800-Oath Keepers, uh, called the Proud Boys and said, go in. Do you think they're leading towards that charge? And when will you or can you tell our audience, many of which you represent in WABC and WRCN and we're all throughout upstate New York, can you tell our audience where you think this is heading from what you saw?
1: I think it's heading, uh, I think number one, Democrats and their allies are trying to change the narrative to distract from all of the crises their policies have created. Number two is I think they are continuing their obsession against President Trump and voters across the country because they can't beat him at the ballot box as he gears up likely to run in 2024, particularly against such a weak uh, president like Joe Biden, who continues to plummet in his approval ratings. You're already seeing that are the indicators in the opening hearing, some of the statements that were made. But it reminded me of the impeachment, uh, you know, hoax part one. Uh, And part two, where Democrats just they can't understand why President Trump has so much support across America. It's because he's talking about the issues and he's fighting the establishment and fighting back to the media, which the American people have been looking for. And certainly the policies were much more effective for the American people uh, under President Trump than certainly we're seeing under Joe Biden.
4: So the president of the United States uh, weighed in and ripped uh, Bill Barr for saying he didn't see any problem with the election. And even Ivanka, he says Ivanka has checked out. Uh, And with Mike Pence, they're not on speaking terms. What side do you land on? Do you understand where Barr is coming from? Do you understand where Pence is coming from? Or are you more in the camp of the president's 100 percent right here?
1: My position is there was unconstitutional overreach, and that's a very serious issue. And as a member of Congress, that was why I objected to certain electors of certain states based upon the unconstitutional overreach. You can't just unilaterally rewrite election laws and not go through the constitutional process according to the states. Numerous states did not follow that process. That's why I objected. I stand by my House speech for, But I also, uh, as have all Republicans, condemned the violence on January 6th. That should have Never happen. It should never happen again. And Republicans, when we were booted from the committee, Leader McCarthy's appointees, our members have been pursuing what are the necessary steps that we need to take to provide Capitol Police with the training, the equipment uh, they need, with the intelligence warnings, and asking those very mm. particular questions. So I believe election integrity. What I hear from voters, that's a really important issue, and I'm glad that certain states are taking action to address election integrity. Certain certainly in my home state of New York, we have a lot of work to do. We had a member of Congress that wasn't seated for three months because they kept finding absentee ballots in desk drawers as they went through the counting process. So um, whether you're Republican or Democrat, election integrity is uh, the most important basis of a constitutional republic. And I believe that we need to work to rebuild that. I agree with President Trump.
4: All right. Uh, but for the next election, you, you, you wonder about Uh, for example, the president, he brought up that he didn't think he retweeted something that showed that Senator Perdue actually beat Governor Brian Kemp as a Republican candidate in Georgia. That clearly wasn't true. He lost by 30 points. So if we keep questioning every election, do you have a problem with the direction of the country?
7: Well,
1: certainly I haven't seen that tweet. I don't think the president's on Twitter anymore, so I, I haven't seen that. Uh, but uh, I disagreed with Brian Kemp. I, I thought they should have made specific election reforms ahead of the election to have those secure uh, and integrity-based elections in the state of Georgia, which they did not have. There was unconstitutional uh, acts in terms of how Georgia conducted their elections, from my perspective, unilaterally changing the rules, not going through the legislative process. And, um, you know, they fixed that act. After the fact, but it doesn't help after the fact. And in terms of, you know, who won that election, uh, Kemp won that election is my position.
4: Uh, George Gascon, who's about to lose his job if there's any justice in the world, commented on the fact that there's a new district attorney in San Francisco who has the same liberal views. This is what he says is the problem with the perception that people have of him. Cut 22. I
7: think that people feel their safety compromised. The problem that we have today is the results of many of the bad policies that over communities without really looking for a path in order to create the reduction of crime, the prevention of crime, and putting communities in a better place.
4: So people feel compromised because we overcriminalized communities, and that's why people are upset right now by the rising crime. Can you wrap your head around that?
1: No. Uh, people are upset because of the rise in crime, because we're decriminalizing communities, and we are uh, not prosecuting criminals. I mean, look at the state of New York. New York is falling apart. Crime is skyrocketing, and yet we have a DA who refuses to prosecute these cases. There is no longer... Not, no longer uh, equal justice under the law, because you have far left d a s who are cherry picking, picking and choosing when and when not to prosecute, and it's causing havoc on our streets and Look at the outcome of the San Francisco recall of uh, chesa boudin that the fact that voters and there's only you know single digit registered republicans and yet Democrats, Republicans, and independents are absolutely. Frustrated with this crime surge we've seen. We need to prioritize the victims, not the criminals. Uh, we need to prioritize families' safety right. and security, again, not the criminals. And that's just not the direction where the Defund the Police Democrats have taken us. They've taken us in the wrong direction.
4: Congresswoman Stefanik, my guest. Congresswoman, uh, I interviewed Rob Astorino, a guy you're familiar with, former Westchester executives running for governor on the first to get the nomination. He's been able to obtain video of these illegal immigrant flights lambing, uh, landing in Westchester and in upstate on Stewart Airport, right away where, where you call home. Now, there's 1.7 million people encounters counters last year at the border. We already have 1.2 this year. Now, every community is talking about these flights coming in. You got in New York, we have them on video. These look like mostly young men. They got fresh clothes. They have supplies. Where are they going?
1: Well, Republicans intend to subpoena that information from the Department of Homeland Security. And I've made those requests. We're in the minority right now. It's one of the ways that when we win the majority, we're going to hold this administration accountable. The Homeland Security Department has refused to answer those questions. How many? Where are they going? Are we notifying local law enforcement? Why is this even happening? I mean, the list goes on. I credit my friend Rob Astorino for putting in that freedom of information request. Otherwise, the American people wouldn't have known that. These flights were during the dark of night. And we need to absolutely secure the border. We need to return to President Trump's very effective border security policies. And this goes back to the rule of law, Brian. Clearly, this administration is not abiding by the rule of law, and they're trying to hide it from the American people. Look no further than these illegal flights. But I'm deeply concerned. It's why every district across the country is a border district. It's not just you know, those geographically contiguous to the southern border, it's everywhere in America.
4: So, uh, Congresswoman, we also know this, the president has teased a big immigration announcement, you know, to the embarrassment of this country, Honduras, Mexico, and El Salvador and Guatemala have blown us off and not showing up to the America's conference in Los Angeles, a conference we started. Um, So they don't like a lot of the center right governing, especially when it comes to Uh, I believe Guatemala, Uh, we know about the the outlaw nations of Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua. But having said that, the president says even without the triangle countries represented, he's got a major announcement and they tease this. He's going to put forward labor pathways to the United States for both migrants transiting their countries for their source countries. He's essentially looking to give all of them work visas to come here. They said this is going to have to pass Congress. Could you see yourself supporting that?
1: No, I would not support that. And that is going to pour further fuel on the already raging border crisis fire. That's a magnet for more illegals and migrants to try to cross our southern border, that is absolutely the wrong approach. The correct approach would be, again, to secure the border, to return to the very effective President Trump era policies, remain in Mexico, etc. keep Title 42, which we pressured this administration to at least delay that decision. Um, so, no, I would absolutely vote no on that, and we will stand up against that. And I'm I'm hard-pressed that Nancy Pelosi is going to be able to find the votes because Democrats know that they're losing on this issue. And in addition to the 30-plus Democrat retirements who are heading for the hills, there's a number of members that are likely to get beat this November at the ballot box because of their failure on border, among other issues.
4: When, what would you say is going to be the message uh, for a for uh, for the House members looking to get the majority in the House across this country, in the big and small districts. I'll give you an example. Uh, Senator Rick Scott was not waiting for Mitch McConnell. He came out and put out his plan, and it includes something that is controversial and the Democrats have latched onto, uh, tax increases for people that aren't paying into the system at all. Fifty percent of the country don't pay any income taxes at all. Uh, Are you, with Kevin McCarthy as among the the leadership, looking to put forward your vision? Uh, Newt Gingrich famously uh, had his, his vision of what would happen, the contract with America. Are you guys doing that?
1: We are doing a commitment to America, whereas Rick Scott put his own proposal out and there are areas where I disagree. House Republicans are working together as one unified group, a team, to put forth our vision that all of our candidates can run on. It's going to focus on issues like making sure that we rein in the inflation. How do we do that? We cut spending and lower taxes to continue to encourage economic growth. How do we tackle this labor shortage? We make sure that we're having critical workforce investment programs, not more big government, but actually partnering with employers to develop that pipeline of talent to fill these jobs that are available today. Taking on China, that is very important and a part of our message. Parents' Bill of Rights when it comes to education. So we've been working on this for months. Uh, Leader McCarthy and House Republicans will unveil this in the coming weeks. And looking forward to you know making sure all across the country and districts, every district across America knows, what Republicans are going to do when we are in the majority. This is our commitment to the people in this country, and I think we're going to have a great year this November.
4: You're a parent to a young child. Can you get baby formula?
1: It's a great question, Brian. So in my district in upstate New York, they are rationing baby formula. My son is nine months old, and I started seeing earlier this year the shelves becoming more and more sparse. I wrote a letter to the FDA in February. We got no response from the Biden administration until May. So I had uh, rang the alarm bells because I was seeing this firsthand and was concerned about the Abbott closure. Um, They did nothing. They sat on their hands. They mismanaged this. But no, there's no end in sight, unfortunately, to this shortage, this crisis that was created, I believe, because of FDA's malfeasance. And now they're trying to cover it up. So they rationed it. I was going in. I was trying to buy formula for about four days because we were traveling all over the district. And, you know, we travel as a family over Memorial Day weekend, going to Memorial Day ceremonies. And they rationed it at the store, which is unbelievable in a rural community like uh, in upstate
4: New York. Unbelievable. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much power you may have, or how little. It doesn't matter how old your kid, if you, if it doesn't matter how experienced you are as a parent. Everywhere you go, you have to now go to the front desk or the the counter and ask for the baby formula because it's not on the shelves. Uh, in America, this is unbelievable. And you did call it in February, but the president said he still wasn't a mind reader when asked about it in April. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. And now we
12: know they knew
1: at the end of last year, too, Brian. There's new reporting that they knew. This administration knew at the end of last year.
4: And they did not relay it because of the whistleblower put it out in December, correct? Correct. Uh, In October, they had the letter in December, and they didn't take action. They weren't able to get their head around the fact that only four companies provide all the baby formula for this nation, and that when the uh, Abbott Lab went down, 40 percent of all inventory went down. Uh, Congresswoman Stefanik, thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Brian.
4: You got it. Uh, Meanwhile, busy person, 1-866-408-7669. You have a lot on your mind. You probably watched a lot of our coverage. Our primetime stayed intact. We dipped in and out. FBN took the entire process, uh, took the entire hearing. You probably have a lot to say on that and so much more. Uh, The market, not looking good, down 800 points. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move.
3: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. breaking news unique opinions hear it all on the brian kilmeade show inflation is a real problem in this country right now and it's even affecting employers take snoop dogg for example this is true he just revealed that because of inflation he had to give his full-time blunt roller a raise to fifty thousand dollars a year (laughs) i mean look Rolling blunts for Snoop. It sounds fun, but really, it's, it's just a whole lot of paperwork. The job pays $50,000 a year. It comes with full dental and a 401 bow
4: wow wow yippee yo yippee k. James Corden last night. Is that true? I mean, it sounds like this is based on a story. because you can't... It, pot is legal now.
13: It, no, I mean, that is
4: very true. James Corden wouldn't tell you fake news. Tyrus, go to him for the real news. You know, Tyrus loves... Snoop Dogg. Well,
13: oh, they their fellow colleagues, or right. he used to work for
4: him, And he encouraged, uh, Snoop was the one who encouraged him to try wrestling.
13: That's, He's okay. like, look,
4: you have an opportunity, you have to leave. And he had to leave Snoop Dogg where he had to be his bodyguard. Where, like, when you're a bodyguard for a rapper who's, if you read that story, I mean, they were shooting each other up for a long time. So, like, you're a bodyguard. You're really in the line of fire. That like, is true. Like, if you're my bodyguard, you're really not going to have much problems.
13: I mean, given that I'm generally your bodyguard when we right. go out, we're pretty good.
4: Pretty good. Uh <laughs> Every, me that is true, and I think we're okay, right? We don't really have much conflict, knock and would we have been pretty safe thanks i would <laughs> I would take Tyrus, but he'd be he'd be a little bit more needed than you, right? He'd be like wanting to stop for lunch every minute, like you were pregnant with at least two kids in you
13: so I was a cheap uh cheap liquor bill. yes, you were very cheap
4: <laughs> for a while um all right, let's go out to bill bill is in in the United States. Hey, Bill how you doing good What's in your mind? Hey, Brian. Uh, I watched part of the the
11: observation of the January sixth thing they had on last yes, night. Yes, what'd you think? People, well, they had people marching towards the White House, and it reminded me that you know Hitler and Nazi Germany had a, a director film propaganda movies for them. And the only thing missing last night was a World War II drum and bugle corps playing in the background. That so, would then see that, that, was, that Bill they they hurt, hurt themselves and I
4: I know what you're saying they hurt themselves with that so for example if you want to prove your case you got to win a case in America you got to hear the defense hear the prosecution case in point Amber Heard uh, and uh, Johnny Depp the reason why you side with Johnny Depp is because you heard Amber Heard's side of the story you have not heard the other side of the story they're trying to jam the other side down our throats.
3: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
4: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, closing out the week here at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully resonating in the Ukraine. In a matter of moments. Shannon Bream did the uh, post-game show last night to the big... Uh, extravaganza, the Broadway play that was put, uh, put together in Washington, D.C. We'll talk about what, if anything, was gained. And, of course, the titanic news that just came across, inflation rate spikes to 8.6%. The market's response, a drop of just about 800 points. Let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%.
5: Number three. The flashpoint city, Christine Sever There, Ukrainian forces are trying to hold down about a third of the city. They are outmanned, they are outgunned. This is an artillery war, and they're running out of artillery. It's hard to imagine how much longer they can hold it.
4: Yeah, we got to get our stuff there quicker. Russian gain, Ukraine fights and seethes as our weapon systems come way too slow. But Russian forces, uh, well, they're inflicting great uh, damage, but they're also experiencing great pain. And the country, great economic misfortune, all brought on by themselves, while the Putin, Vladimir Putin, calls himself Peter the Great.
6: Number two, I don't think we're going to have a recession. Consumer spending is very strong. Investment spending is solid. I know people are very upset and rightly so about inflation. There's nothing to suggest an inflation and that a recession's in the works.
4: Okay, here we go. What else should we be talking about 18 months after January 6th? How about our money? We got a White House in disarray, just judging by what other friendly networks are reporting. Uh, they are shedding allies and staffers daily, they got a broken border. Uh, Gun reform is under discussion, and inflation, as well as gas prices affecting all of our lives. D.C. Dems won't discuss it, but we will.
2: Number one. Those who invaded our capital and battled law enforcement for hours were motivated by what President Trump had told them, that the election was stolen and that he was the rightful president.
4: Making the case. We will recap last night's opening act of making January 6th the number one story in November. What was missing? Any dissension, any defense, any defense at all. It was all one side. What was gained? I'll review. My sense is, as I bring in Shannon Bream, Shannon, we're used to in America hearing both sides making our decision. Uh, the best example, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp seems to have won the court, not only won over the jury, but the country by presenting his side, but we heard Amber Heard's side. If we just heard one side, nothing would have been gained. Is there a danger there for Dems that we only hear one side?
8: Well, you know, you've got to ask Republicans the same question because they had members that they were going to appoint to the board. Uh, Speaker Pelosi said no to two of them, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, who would have been um, a, a serious pain in the rear for that committee. And so you know, McCarthy – Pulls everyone. So there are no Republicans until then the Speaker goes and appoints Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who are clearly not Trump allies or friends. So Republicans made a calculation too, like we're not going to have anybody on the inside. We're not going to have anybody to steer the conversation, ask different questions in the depositions and present an opposing uh, viewpoint. I don't know that the average person who's like, hey, let me flip by. I remember this day. It was terrible. Let's see what's going on. I don't know that they're going to get that. They will see that there are a couple of Republicans sitting there if they're asking questions about what this is bipartisan, um, but really you've given the Democrats pretty much unfettered access to interview more than a 1,000 people and have hundreds of thousands of pages of material and then present it to the world with no opposition. Um, and that's a calculation the Republicans made, so they can now point at it and say it's, you know, partisan theater. Um, but, you know, the, the Democrats will point back and say, well, we do have Republicans on this committee.
4: Yeah, but we, we I I thought Liz Cheney would actually go out of her way to point out security was absolutely an issue. And there there was some there was things that went on in that speech that gave indications the president had no intention of having the, uh, supporting this violence. For example, this cut seven.
10: I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard.
4: Right. I mean. That Stuff like that was, like that that was edited out. Why would you if you're looking to highlight your point of view?
8: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it does end up being this non-oppositional, as we would say in the law, ex parte uh, situation where essentially you've got one side making all of the arguments. Now, that said, um, as we've all talked about, they really promised big. Jamie Raskin, a Democratic congressman, said it's going to blow the roof off the House. So when they do that, they've got to deliver Uh, Or people will say, what are we waiting for? It it makes us think back to Congressman Adam Schiff, who was constantly saying, I've seen things you haven't seen. There's all kinds of evidence about Trump and Russia. And then that sort of petered out. So I I think that they should maybe rethink managing the expectations, because I think last night listen, we saw horrible video. Um, we heard testimony. To me, that was the one fresh thing was to have the officer there testifying, uh, Caroline Edwards. Um, but otherwise, people know the bad things that happened that day. They've seen video. And if they were waiting for what we were told is brand new material, interviews you've never heard, things you haven't seen, we had little clips of things like former AG Bill Barr, a very short snippet from Ivanka. But if they're going to, quote, blow the roof off the house, I think they still got a ways to go.
4: Absolutely. I want you to hear what Jim Banks, who was supposed to be on uh, that committee, said this. Cut 11.
8: The entire point behind
11: this process is to prosecute Donald Trump for crimes that he did not commit. We all know this is a sham uh, committee process. They they want to put Donald Trump in jail. If, If they don't get that, they settle to keep his name off the ballot. It's not about investigating January 6th. If I was the ranking member and I was in that room tonight, we would have been asking questions about the bombshell reporting of John Solomon, who, by the way, has invest- done more to investigate January 6th than anyone on that committee has. The breakdown of security, how intelligence was gathered, how it was disseminated, why Capitol Police officers, like the head of the Capitol Police Union, told me that, they, that the rank and file Capitol Police officers didn't receive the intelligence that something was going to happen that day. And now we know, thanks to John Solomon and you, that Chuck Schumer's office uh, got, get, got that intelligence, but our Capitol Police officers didn't.
4: So that would have been a counter-narrative. And at the end of the day, you say, well, I th- you know, that video was too compelling. I, you know, the Trump why well, that one line, but said other incendiary things. So, and he was quiet for so long. That's the debate we're used to having. But I think the Democrats don't realize that they're, that they're, they're playing to their own audience. They're not going to win over moderates, independents, and certainly not any, uh, any anti-Trump Republicans this way, it doesn't seem.
8: Yeah, and you've got to look at the recent polling that shows about half of the country is ready to move on from this. Not that they don't think it was a terrible day. And listen, people who attack cops should go to jail. I mean, I think people agree on a lot of the stuff. Um, and, you know, looking backwards is really what the Democrats have right now. Um, the new inflation numbers, the polling on everything, the president is upside down on nearly every single issue, and that translates to Democrats being upside down on nearly every issue. So uh, this is something that I think there are those who genuinely say we got to figure out what happened that day because we never want to see this again. But I think there are others who say, listen, this is all we've got to go after the Republicans at this point, and so we're going to have to play it up as best we can.
4: Um, and, you know, I was saying this to Rado, you know- you me and you had to put together audition tapes, even though Brit Hume saw how good you were and then recommended <laughs> you to Fox. But in our business, we have to put together audition tapes. And what they do is you put together the best stuff you have. You give mm-hmm. your hope a news director looks at three minutes and, and sees enough there to go forward. They had thousands of hours of interviews with hundreds of people. And they took the snippets they think sells their story. But, you know, right away you have people like Jason Miller weigh in and say, yeah, that eight seconds wasn't indicative of the actual conversation that I had. And even though Ivanka Trump so far hasn't weighed in, there was a small area that said, I accept what Bill Barr said. Now, Bill Barr also, his statement could have taken out of his book on tape. He said the same thing in his book that he said that night. So
8: it would have saved a lot of
4: time. Yeah, it would have. So if you had Jim Banks putting together a audition tape of different things that would be counter to what the Democrats were presenting. As horrible as that day was, and we all agree, I think that would be interesting.
8: Yeah, and and you playing what he said um, illustrates exactly why Speaker Pelosi did not want him on the committee. Um, and, you know, what Republicans or Democrats would say is, like, well, you know, Banks and, and Jordan believed these lies and, and supported what Trump was trying to do that day, so they can't be on the committee. Um, I talked to Kelly Armstrong last night, who's a congressman out of North Dakota, who was supposed to be on the committee. He's one of the ones that the Speaker did not attempt to kick off. You know, and I talked to him about this, uh, you know, idea of them having more of a voice if they had just stayed there. Um, but again, they're going to paint this as partisan. And I'm not sure that the average person watching this will get Mm -hmm. that this is pretty much a one-sided investigation. We're months out now from uh, the midterms. And as you know, it's an eternity. Uh, All kinds of things can happen. Um, People still can't find baby formula. Inflation is up again. Um, the, The rate it's rising against wages. I mean, those are all real life things that when people try to put gas in the car and food on the table, that is going to be top of mind. I think it was, you know how Gallup polls every month on the biggest issues for the country. I think one of the latest ones that they did had all of these things, including economic issues, are by far and away um, way more important to the average American right now than anything else. And that includes this January 6th event, which many of them, again, have said, it's terrible. It's in the past. We've got to look forward because we have serious problems right now that are day to day with me trying to, you know, make ends meet check to check.
4: Yeah, we just know this. Uh, they want to make sure, in my humble opinion, that Donald Trump doesn't run again. And whether he's charging him with a felony, and I'm not sure what it would be. They're trying to investigate him in uh, in New York. They have not been successful. He'll submit to a, uh, a deposition shortly. They kind of they have a – I think they have a uh, a grand jury impaneled in Atlanta about did he try to bur- uh, uh, harangue the secretary of state into changing votes. I don't think so, from what I've heard. But altogether, Sean Davis, who's CEO of the Federalists, said this with Tucker last night. Cut 12.
0: I kind of feel like we are watching something akin to the dissolution of the republic. I mean, we, we have people who spent the last four years with their Russia hoax trying to <sighs> overthrow the president. Uh, they concocted another hoax to make sure a Supreme Court justice they didn't like didn't get confirmed. Um, then you had the whole COVID thing, which they used as a pretext to just do a massive roll-up of power. Then we have the election, and now they have this committee, which they're using really as a pretext to just criminalize opposition to anything they're doing. It, It wasn't enough for them to beat Trump. It wasn't enough for them to throw him off of Twitter and ban him from social media, it's apparently not enough for them to go and arrest his uh, top White House advisors while they're getting on planes and putting them in, in shackles. Um, what they really want to do is criminalize the things that you do, that I do, that that everyone watching does uh, when they oppose Democrat policies.
4: Sean Davis lays a strong argument that that, that seems to be the goal. Your thoughts?
8: Well, you know... Uh, The thought that the government would use any of its resources to silence political opposition is terrifying. And no Democrat or Republican should want that because whether it's your team doing it or not, they can be used against you next time around. So yep. that's something we've got to police very carefully. And, and to the issue of whether they're trying to prevent um, President Trump from running again, you got to think there are people in the Republican Party who are very divided over whether that would be a good or a bad thing for the party uh, the next time around and whether it would be winnable because of all this January 6th stuff. Um, listen, he's wildly popular in almost all the polling shows. He's still the most Popular Republican candidate. But the Democrats, if they sideline him from running again, may do something that they don't intend to do, which is they might do something to benefit Republicans who are very torn over whether they want to see him or DeSantis or Nikki Haley run. Um, If he's out of the picture, um, that that takes away a big punching bag target from the Democrats in 2024.
4: Shannon Breen with us tonight. She had the post game show last night. She preempted Greg Gutfeld. There's a personal rivalry there. Oh, don't
2: remind me. I
4: know. There's there's a rivalry that I don't think. That's why he called me evil. Right. And that's I don't think he could ever be healed. Uh, I'm I'm more optimistic about <laughs> we're, Trump we're gonna getting sit better down than that.
8: And, um, right. and and we'll see how it goes.
4: You're very different people. Um so by the way, I uh we taped God fell last night. I'll be on tomorrow tonight. I can't wait. Wearing my Thursday outfit.
8: That's must see TV. Well listen, you gotta be a professional and bring a you know, outfit change like J Lo.
4: I know. I've been compared to J Lo. I, I always
8: more ways than one. Right. Similar
4: thighs. My quads. I wasn't
8: going to go there, My, but if you want to bring it up, I don't want to take this to HR level. But right. We'll I have
4: JLo there. quads. Uh, okay. And that's what I'm going to stick with.
8: Okay, I think right. you should. And and I would wear shorts more often on Fox and Friends if that's true.
4: I'm talking to people now about it. We're, I'm looking to change <laughs> sponsorship deal. Exactly, Shannon. Um, I don't know if you have anything on this, but you know this Council of America's this disastrous no-show uh, situation happening in uh, in Los Angeles. We know that but Guatemala... Change, a lot of
8: crickets.
4: Yeah, uh, Guatemala. And not many press conferences. Uh, you right. have Guatemala not going. You have El Salvador not there. You have Mexico not there. Uh, Brazil just showed up. And they only showed up if they guaranteed no criticism <laughs> from America. <laughs> so this is hysterical. But they're supposed to have a major announcement today about new policies as it comes to illegal immigrants storming our border. Any indication of what that is?
8: No, but I mean... I- If you have the major players saying, we don't want any part of this and we're not going to be there, uh, I don't know what they could have. Listen, and and the countries have sent many of them lower-level diplomats and people who aren't the president of their country, so there are some kinds of conversations. I can't imagine what that's going to be, and, um, you know, we stand by. Of course, we want the president to have a presser at something like this to lay out for us what's been accomplished and what they're going to do, but after his uh, stint with Kimmel the other night, I think that (laughs) as much as he complains about his team not letting him get out there and share the messaging, which is the reason Americans don't know how great he is, um, I think there will be fewer press conferences going forward, not more.
4: Uh, I do. I do think that's the beginning of him calling his own shots. I don't think any communications team would say, you have not been talking to anyone one-on-one for four months. Let's go with Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, even though it's a friendly interview, it just is. It opens up so much criticism and, from both sides and anger because people have jobs to do and they'd like to get mm-hmm. some answers, especially with inflation, uh, illegal immigration and gas prices. Shannon, we're going to watch you tonight at midnight. Is that okay?
8: Yes, I would request that you do.
4: All right. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much. i will be your, your pregame show tomorrow. I love it. Tonight. I, tonight, <laughs> For, tonight. Forgot what day it is. Happy All right, Friday. Shannon, thank you. Shannon Bream. thanks. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: What is the
12: grand home plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC and they made a decision yesterday that they were not going to increase beyond what they were already planning.
4: Yeah, so why try? Oh, Picks, okay, that's it. Oh, I'm sorry, I got the machine, but I, since they're not increasing, uh, this whole thing, if you, we got spoiled with President Trump, not only would President Trump be behind the scenes telling the Saudis to pump more, he'd be saying it. I don't like what's going on over there. They better stop pumping more or pumping less or stop doing this or stop doing that. We used to have it all out there in front of us. Instead, you have a giggly Secretary of Energy about six months ago laughing through gas prices. Now she says, buckle up. They're not going away anytime soon. They're going to be nationwide $5, maybe sometime within the last hour. I don't think I have to tell you the market's down about 800 points because the inflation numbers came in for May and it's 8.6%. President of the United States wants everybody talking about January 6th. He wants everyone talking about unemployment numbers, which I grant you are low, and it's great. But with interest rates going up and with wages growing up three full points below where inflation is, people aren't going to feel that happy. Happy to have a job, not happy. Their lifestyle has been compromised and wondering where did it all go and was it preventable? Is this a global problem or is this a Joe Biden problem?
3: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
9: I
6: don't think we're going to have a recession.
0: Um, Go ahead.
6: Consumer spending is very strong. Investment spending is um, solid. I know people are very upset, and rightly so, about inflation. But there's nothing to suggest in inflation that a recession's in the
4: works. Let's hope not. But a woman that just got burned by saying, I apologize for saying that inflation would be transitory. I thought it would be a little bit more measured with the words. She also weighed in and said for the for oil and gas prices, we hope Russia keeps selling oil to India and China. I don't know if she heard, but we're kind of in a bit of a, uh, a conflict with Russia. We kind of don't want them selling oil to anybody. Stephen Moore is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, an economist with FreedomWorks. Stephen, welcome back. Hey, Brian, good to be with you. Do you want to take on that topic? I mean, I'm hopeful. I don't like people cheerleading uh, for a recession, but is she right to say that?
11: Well, first of all, I, I just have to say how frustrated I am because, I, you know, I've said on your show and on uh, Fox and Friends and – And so many uh, other shows over the last, you know, nine to 12 months that inflation was a real uh, clear and real danger. And it's here and it's not transitory. It's not leveled off. It's getting worse, not better. And it's causing real hardship and pain and suffering for American families. And so the Democrats still refuse to acknowledge that this is because of runaway government spending. Uh, you know, when Biden came into place with the $3 trillion of added spending, by the way, we put another trillion dollars in, you know, the months before Biden came in under Trump. So Republicans are partly responsible for this too. But, um, you know, it's, it's there. Were, by the way, Brian, there were eight Nobel prize winning economists last year who wrote in the New York Times, don't worry about all this government spending. It's not going to cause inflation. And wh- where is their apology? Where is the strategy to to train strategies to do something about these prices? Because they are causing, uh, uh, you know, I-, I think, unfortunately, we're probably going to see a crash landing right now with this economy, because when you let inflation get worse and worse and worse each month and it continues to outpace wages, what that means, um, Brian, is that people are getting poor every month. It's an ugly picture out there right now.
4: Q poll, Quinnipiac poll, uh, 33% approval for the president, lower than that when it comes to the economy, when uh, it's yeah. approval among 18- to 34-year-olds who probably see more job opportunities but see less opportunity to buy a home with the interest rates going up, 22%. Mm-hmm. And this is the right stunning you. news. I know you do dollars and cents, but the Hispanics that were firmly in Democrats' court – Twenty four percent approval of his job. This would be a Titanic switch in the marketplace among ethnic groups. Maybe the biggest in my lifetime.
11: Yeah, I mean, look as our buddy Larry Kudlow says, you know, the cavalry are coming. No question about it. I mean, we're going to see a monster election in two thousand um, in, in, in in November of two thousand twenty two. The question is, well, you know, I joke with my friend Larry Kudlow, you know, is the cavalry going to get here on time? Right, because. You know, the last time we had inflation like this, Brian, in the um, early 80s, and I remember it clearly because that's when I graduated from college. I mean, it, it was a crash landing that caused, I mean, you couldn't even get a job as a burger flipper back then. It was so bad. So um, to, to let this inflation metastasize the way it has and get worse and worse, and the Biden people, think about their, their narrative on this, uh, Brian. First, they said, inflation, there's no inflation. What are they talking about? This is a figment of the right's imagination. Then when inflation started to get really bad. They said, oh, you know what? It's transitory. Remember, that was their word. Then they said it's temporary. Then then they said, oh, no, guess what? It's leveling off. It's going away. And they've been wrong, 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 wrong. And yet they have not pivoted away from their policies that have created this inflation. Now, as you know, Brian, the major factor in the consumer price index that is driving up these prices is the energy prices. Um, We saw oil uh, prices at $60 a barrel, when Trump was in office today, oil prices are at one hundred twenty dollars a barrel. That, my math is right. That's a doubling in the world oil price. Uh, and in my opinion, the major factor behind that is Joe Biden's green energy war against American oil and gas.
4: Yeah, I mean, that is uh, in the short term. He has to know that the electric cars aren't ready. The infrastructure is not there. The rare earth is not in our country. It's right. not been purchased. We've got to go to China. And if you talk about the chips, we don't have the chips on shore. They're in Taiwan and other places. They're not ready to come here Intel right. building a plant sometime in the next three years. Seventy-seven percent of the people listening to us right now are cutting back on restaurants and entertainment. You know that yeah. has a ripple effect to our economy. And you also know that nine in ten Americans say inflation has forced them to bargain hunt for groceries or not buy them at all. So we're seeing how this goes. Also, weird things like AAA is reported Mm -hmm. uh, up 30% of towing people who have run out of gas. (laughs) Running out of
11: gas. Running out of gas. It's an
4: every person problem.
11: How about this? You know, we paid a dollar an egg. A dollar for an egg. <laughs> and it used to cost 35 cents. And I'll give you another story. I, I uh, talked to uh, major um, pe- ma- people who own major um, auto dealerships around the country. One of them is in Denver. He has one of the biggest auto dealerships in the country there in Denver. I said, How many cars do you usually have on the lot? He says, Steve, usually we have about 1,200 cars and vans on the lot. You know how many he has on the lot today? How many? Brian? 60. Wow. He said, we can't, the, the supply chain problems with China are so bad. Now, here's the point. Brian, do you remember, do you recall these kind of supply chain problems when Trump was president? No.
4: But the thing is, I, I know every, you know, I'm not an expert on supply chain. But I will say that the one thing that would happen is it wouldn't have been a one-day story. Uh, there, oh, there's a backup in Los Angeles in Long Beach. And now all of a sudden it's just gone away. But we don't have any stuff. Uh, We have our secretary of uh, secretary of transportation went on a three month paternity leave without telling anybody during the worst time. So you have a situation where two thirds of the communication staff of the White House has left. Twenty four African-Americans feeling as though they're not going anywhere, have resigned from the Biden administration. And then you have a situation reported by friendly outlets like The Washington Post, CNN and NBC says a fracture between the old guard and new guard in the White House. And one, another push amongst Biden family to get him out and let him be himself more. There's no good answers coming out of 1600.
11: Yeah, well, that's because there's not very many people who really understand how the economy works. You know, we have a study that's coming out next week. I'll give you a sneak preview. We, we hope to talk to you about it on, on uh, Fox and Friends next week. But um, what we looked at, the top 75 um, economic and financial Uh, People in the Biden administration, the the regulators starting from the top with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and blah, 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 all the way down. And we looked at the amount of business experience these people have. The average is two years of business experience. Wow. Most of of them have zero. They're academics. They're community activists. They're lawyers. They're politicians. They're government people. There's nobody. Look, do you think Pete Pete Buttigieg knows anything about transportation? No. Do you think Jennifer Granholm knows anything about energy? I mean, I could go down the list. These people are just not, you know, what was the the Saturday night live thing? Not ready for prime time. These are the not ready for prime time players. And, if I were Biden, I'd bring in somebody like a Fred Smith, a FedEx, or somebody who knows something, how to run something, and, and just say, look, fix this. <laughs> but there's nobody over there who's doing that.
4: Hey, uh, by the way, yeah, if you want a nonpartisan answer, if you want to just do something that's going to affect your voting, your, your, your fortunes in November, you fix the economy. You get inflation down. You tell people that I'm in charge and I know how to do it. That will be better than any ad or any vilification of Donald Trump. Or any type of January Six Committee. Here is Jennifer Granholm explaining what we're going to be in for this summer. Cut
12: nineteen. This summer is going to be rough. I'll just be honest with you. Um, the Energy Information Agency, which is the energy that, the entity that projects forward all the price of gas, the price of oil, has said that by the fall it should be down to four dollars and twenty seven cents a gallon, and by late this year early next year it'll be down to 4 maybe under 4 maybe 3 high $3 a gallon so there will be some relief on the horizon but during the summer driving season it is going to be rough no doubt about it because we have such a demand and supply mismatch on the global market for oil
4: you like her description or but and is she accurate in predicting the summer You know, the thing about
11: the Biden administration, if you notice this, they never take any responsibility for it. It's like all these events are out of their control, right? Now, let's take the whole – she is exactly right. We have have a supply and a demand problem, right? So how how did we get a supply problem, do you think? Maybe, Brian, it's because they stopped drilling. Maybe it's because they stopped producing the – they stopped the production of the gas pipelines. You know, in other words – This is exactly a – you can connect the dots between their philosophy, which – don't forget, Brian, in the Democratic primaries, what did uh, Joe Biden promise? He said, I am going to kill the oil and gas industry. Yes. Well, guess what? He's doing it. He's kept that promise.
4: I think what's interesting is that he's taking advantage of the fact that very few of us listening right now are in the oil and gas industry. When you hear the Secretary of Transportation say oil and gas companies are jacking up the price to make windfall profits and we're going to start taxing them or taking away their leases because they refuse to punch holes in the ground. What should we know about oil and gas and how it really works?
11: Okay, so this is a great point. So. You know, I, as you know, I served for Donald Trump and I I really advised him on two issues, tax policy and energy policy. And he he got it. He knew what he wanted to do. He was all in on American energy, everything. He wanted to produce our hydropower, our nuclear power, our oil, our gas, our coal, everything to make American energy dominant. Now, we were at about 12.5 million barrels of oil peak under Trump. Now, and by the way, at that time, the price of oil was only $80 a barrel. Today, the price is, uh, you know. Uh, twice that amount, practically, and yet we're only producing about 10.5 million barrels of oil a day. I'm here to tell you, if Donald Trump were still president today, Brian, we'd be at 15 million barrels of production a day, no question about it. We would be drilling everywhere at these kind of prices, and that would bring the price down. So the, the idea that somehow we are going to solve this problem with windmills is absolutely lunatic, but that's their only response.
4: Absolutely. And the, and right now, one thing you guys did great is cut away red tape and the permitting yeah. process to make those leases productive. They had to be able to get in the ground, do their studies and then start working. And they've got to have certainty. They are asking for a five year exactly. plan. Say, so show me yep. a five year plan and then I will give you projections and I can start hiring people and then deciding what the right thing to do is. But you're not telling me where you're heading. So that's what they wrote together. All these oil and gas companies associations uh, are trying to be politically correct, but they cannot work with this administration, it seems. Stephen, thanks so, so much yeah, for your insight. Yeah. So when does your study come out?
11: It, it will come out um, Monday or Tuesday of next week. I'll be in touch with you. But this is, this. They, there is, they are ideologues. No, there's nobody in this administration who knows anything about business, anything about commerce, anything about finance, and it shows.
4: True. Stephen Moore, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay. All See right, you, you got it. Uh, listen, I'll come back and find out if there's more to know. And also take your calls at one 408 7669 Keep in mind, uh, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, set your DVR, because I know a lot of times it's date night, uh, or 8 and 11 o'clock Eastern time uh, on Saturday night, set your DVR for One Nation. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Thanks so much for being with us all week long. And I think I owe it to you to not only tell you the big three and provide insight with great guests, I think it's also time for me to let you know you need to know more.
3: More to
4: know. Uh, Oops, she did it again. Britney Spears gets married to Sam Ascari, 28 years old. She's 40. I'm sure this is going to work. Uh, they also tried to interrupt. I guess the guy she would marry to for what, fifty-five hours, tried to interrupt the the marriage, the wedding ceremony. Well, yeah, Jason Alexander. Apparently, earlier
13: in the day, he tried to uh, he tried to get into the premises,
4: and he was restrained by event security and later charged with trespassing, vandalism, and two counts of battery. Why does she attract such nuts? Really, why? Oh. Nuts attract nuts? No. It was a little rhetorical. A little uh, bit, okay, maybe. I wasn't that mystified. <laughs> Thank you. All right, next. Hey, I want a team in Las Vegas. That's LeBron James. announcing his plans to buy an NBA franchise in Sin City after becoming the league's first ever active player billionaire. He certainly will have the money. The NBA will certainly want him still involved. He said um, he would bolster a budding sports team that is at NFL, NHL, and at WNBA teams. For the longest time, they stayed out of of Las Vegas because there was so much gambling going on. They wanted to be divorced from the gambling. Now everybody's gambling.
13: And also, right, so many more teams are going to Vegas,
4: too. Yeah, but also, you'd have to grab a team. Because right now, I don't think they're looking to expand, necessarily. Well,
13: no, but it's, uh, Adam Silver, didn- well, he denied rumors earlier this week that Vegas and Seattle are the prime candidates for the League 2024 expansion. So oh. It sounds like there will be an expansion. Oh, there
4: might be. Or you grab the Sacramento Kings. I don't think they draw well. I don't think they- they're not in a great city. So maybe they'll grab them. Uh, please look into that or put Eric on it.
13: You know, I'm going to put Pete
4: on it. <laughs> oh, Pete, yeah, put Pete on it. Next, drinking milk can increase a man's risk of prostate cancer. That, according to a new research study, a large study found that those who chug three-quarters of a pint each day are 25% more likely to develop the disease. I mean, this is credible because people used to always have a lot more milk. I mean, is this put out by the, the, the fruit punch people? Fruit punch. I feel like, I just want to say that clearly this must have been
13: some sort of UK study if it's a pint of milk, right? When you say, like, if you drink a cup of milk? But, right. um Yeah.
4: <laughs> I mean, never, I still remember Daryl Strawberry mm-hmm. used to advertise milk. He would just grab milk and just chug well, it down. The
13: Got Milk campaign was huge. Like, right, that got such traction. And then actually, I don't know, at some point in... They did, like, live events. They'd go to these different things, these, these like, live milk experiences. And it was really smart because you'd go, you'd get the picture taken with the milk mustache, and it really got the message out.
4: Yeah, findings come from a review of more than 28,000 men in the U.S. Authors tracked the group for an average of eight years, and each participant was initially cancer-free, found initially cancer-free. Who frequently questionnaires, they revealed that uh, some people got cancer after. Okay, I'm a little depressed. Next, being an optimist could lead to a longer life. Uh, the phenomenon applied across racial and ethnic lines. Uh, this, according to uh, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. That does not surprise me. They always say a positive frame of, of reference. 100%. So
13: we brought you down on the milk. We lifted you up with this one. That's
4: all I can ask. Next. A recent cert- we have a lot of studies on this. <laughs> uh, a recent survey of 2,000 Americans 69% of respondents in long term relationships admit they judge their partner for eating certain guilty pleasure foods.
13: You judge, though, I want you to eat something bad.
4: Uh, no, I don't, at Good least answer. when I'm on the radio, <laughs> uh, compared to generations in the past that only 3 in 10 say they judge people. Now, many more people are judging many more people.
13: I mean, is not how you live life. You just look at people and you judge them. Right. That's what we do now.
4: And just say, I am so much better because fill in the blank. I All drink right. a lot
13: of milk. Okay, <laughs>
4: next. Happy hour. This is so true. Happy hour is not long enough. One in three say after work fun should last for three hours. I agree. I never. No one ever stays for three. Number one, you never get to happy hour on time. Never is like four o'clock happy hour. It's like you, got, you can't run up. It's as if you had no life. You got to go 420.
13: Well, for you, happy hour begins at like what? 1 p.m. So most people aren't there yet. Right.
4: If I do outnumbered. That's if true. I don't do outnumbered, it's 1201.
13: 1201. Right.
4: Because you insist on me being sober on the radio.
13: It's, most of the time it's helpful, but not all.
4: Right. Because a lot of times I get into car service, so I don't really have to be. But at least I'm more responsible for what I say.
13: I will say, though, it's a compliment that you want a half hour longer with coworkers because it means you like your coworkers.
4: Right. True. Three hours. Plus, you got to get warmed up. And then when the third hour is when you do everything you regret.
13: <laughs> and then you get fired.
4: Exactly. <laughs> uh, don't go with management, just co-workers. And then it's plausible deniability. Uh, listen, uh, make sure you set your DVR and watch or watch One Nation live on Saturday night and com for anything else.
0: We drank beer. We like beer.